All right, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the Renegade EDC podcast. And like I mentioned in the podcast at the end of the December, we are going to be talking about watches and their meaning. And for the first time on this podcast, I have a guest. Uh, you guys may know him, and if you don't, uh, you really should. Uh, we are going to be talking with Tony uh, with House of Time. Uh, you can find Tony on Instagram at Domus Tempus. That is D U M U S. T-E-M-P-U-S on Instagram, and he also has his web store linked on there uh, where you can buy prints and uh, the newest photo book from the Galley uh, group over on Instagram. So, uh, welcome, Tony. Uh, I'm going to give you this time to go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, let the people know what you're thinking. Hey, guys. Uh, my name's Tony McAfee, as he mentioned. I am also an Ohioan and uh, got into this Instagram EDC community um, as kind of a, I, I guess I'm kind of a subset of EDC uh, specializing in watches. But of course, the more time I spend around some of these great guys in the community, the more knives I seem to accumulate and uh, different uh, coffee themed things and uh, just photo projects and photo, uh, contests that we, uh, we seem to be getting, becoming parts of. And, um, it's just been, it's just been fantastic. So I've been doing the, uh, the EDC Instagram thing for, uh, let's see, I started on my birthday. So July 12th and, um, a little bit more than a hundred followers a month. I think I've been doing okay. And, uh, yeah, like you said, we've got the galley book up on my, uh, on my page, uh, D O M U S T E M P dot U S is the website. If you want to check it out, we also sell prints. Um, yeah, check it out. All right. Uh, fantastic. So in typical, typical fashion, uh, we are going to start out with a quote. And because this podcast episode is centered around time, the quote is also uh, centered around that. So let's get started with the quote. It says, unfortunately, the clock is ticking. The hours are going by. The past increases. The future recedes. Possibilities decreasing and regrets mounting. Uh, this quote is from Haruki Murakami, uh, and this book, um, the quote actually comes from a fictional work of his called Dance, 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 uh, that talks about his Japan. Um, and the, the context that he uses the quote in is completely different than the thoughts that I derived from it. Uh, but in my thoughts, um, I think that it, it really signifies time never stops. Time waits for no man. Uh, as another popular saying goes, it's always uh, moving. It's always doing. And if you don't take chances or you don't capitalize on your, your possibilities, your possibilities subside, and then your regrets mount or your regrets increase. So, uh, Tony, what, uh, what if any uh, thoughts or observations do you have about the quote? I like that quote. It is a hair nihilistic 
for my taste. Yes. Um, but it's, but it's all true. I mean, it is all true. Um, one of the things I try to, I think I've mentioned before in our chat is I try to not regret things. You know, you end up spending a little bit too much money on something and, or losing money on something and you end up regretting it. And it's just a kind of a waste of time and kind of go by that old Bible verse, you know, who by worrying can add an inch to their stature. And it's just, oh, yeah. You know, try not to regret. So that's the only thing that wasn't that didn't tickle me about it. But other than that, it is it is very true. And on the vein of what we're talking about today with watches, it's something you're reminded of every time you look at your wrist and you see that uh, little secondhand sweeping. Oh yes, oh yes. So, uh, moving from the quote, uh, let's start off with a little check of what's on your wrist and what's in your pocket. And don't forget uh, the little flicky clicky uh, for the ASMR section. All right. Um, so today I actually changed watches for the podcast. Um, well, when I got home this afternoon, I changed watches. Uh, I am wearing my uh, Bulova Marine Star uh, dive watch that my wife and son uh, most of my wife, my son, six, uh, bought me for my 30th birthday. And it is, is probably my, it is definitely my nicest watch that I currently have. Um, and it is just fantastic blue face, uh, little orange accents on the, some of the hands and the date dial is a uh, black with orange numbers. Really, really, really nice watch. That's definitely my favorite one in my box and gets, the least amount of risk time because I work at a car dealership and might have my arm stuck up into an engine at some point. I don't work on the cars, but I still do have to go back and deal with the technicians and see things like that. So I don't want to risk anything happening to this one. Um, and you want to do the pocket check now too? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, right. pull that knife out. So um, my main knife that I've been carrying, I actually just got, um, a couple days ago, uh, Asher knives newest offering the, um, the Spiro and it is a G10 handle, uh, S 35 VN steel, uh, stone washed blade It's my first stone washed blade knife. Um, did not think I never been a fan of stone wash cause it almost, because it's still so smooth and it has that textured look to it. It almost looks, um, fake that it doesn't look like almost doesn't mm. look like real metal to me. Oh yeah. But um I'm I'm it's growing on me. I have another stone wash blade on the way too for a different knife or uh, with a different knife. But uh the G10 handle, this is actually a smooth texture as opposed to the um the prior uh one the Sentry and the Nomad have a little bit more of a textured handle. Mm -hmm. And this one's got a nested uh liner lock. Um I'll go ahead and flick it open for you so you can hear it. And it's got ceramic bearings, so it, it flicks open really good, firm detent, almost a little bit too much where my, you know, if I could do the five finger open, the, uh, the pinky has a little bit of trouble, but, uh, but I think that's actually preferable. I don't want it to, I don't want it to just go flying open. And oh, then yeah. uh, real good, real good, firm detent when you go to, when you go to flip it back down, it just slam shut it is really nice oh yeah and then moving on, moving on from that one i have 
uh, one I got for Christmas from my secret Santa from the galley, a Civivi Praxis. So I've only recently started carrying a second blade. Um, so I've got a couple, I just like I was talking to you earlier about, I've got a couple of larger knives in mind, uh, to carry as a secondary, um, you know, like the larger, a little bit cheaper than the, than my main knife uh, to handle something that I wouldn't want to take my, you know, nicer knife and stick it into, <laughs> um, Civivi Praxis. I'll go ahead and flip that open. And this is the. Sorry. This is the uh, blue handle brass liners. Really Ooh. cool accent there. And then the blade shape. You know, I wasn't a big fan of the banter when it came out because it's just kind of a blah blade shape to me. And it's just me. I know a lot of people love it, so I don't want to. I don't want to talk down about something. It is yeah. a cool knife. Uh, just wasn't a big fan of the blade shape. But it's it's kind of growing on me. Um, this has got a similar. It's not as um, symmetrical, but it's got a similar belly on it. Okay. And I recently started carrying a field book. So I have a, I have a field book uh, with dot graph paper. I have my Caveco sport and brass that I've recently started is the reason I've recently started carrying the field book. Oh yeah. And uh, yes, now I'll have I have a question for you. Have you used field notes and field books? I have a whole drawer uh, full of uh, field notes, and I carry them uh, in my day to day work because they're uh, they're waterproof. I'm a being a little bit heavier set uh, guy. I'm a big sweater, uh, so if I keep them in my shirt pocket, any other notebook gets gets soaking wet, and everything just kind of uh, dissipates. But the field notes with that coated paper, it works fantastic. Okay, so the reason I ask is because um, without doing too much research, I just went out and grabbed the first like five pack of black ones I could find. And I realized when I got them in the mail, they are not field notes, they're field books, which is a cheaper option, like 10 bucks for five instead of 13 Mm. for three. Um, But I was wondering because I'm writing on these with a with a fountain pen and, and, and actually ended up sketching a lot in them with a fountain pen. I'm I'm really tearing through pages. I mean, there it bleeds right through one to the other. Yeah. So I know that the the waterproof ones would probably be an answer to that. I don't know. I'll have to check and see how well they take a fountain yeah. pen. They uh, they don't respond super well uh, to a fountain okay. pen. If you use a really fine nib, it kind of scratches through that waxy yeah. coating uh, and works well. But if you use anything medium and beyond uh, that that we that lead or sorry that ink just flows away. Okay. All right. Well, I'll stick with these for a little while then. And I have a field notes cover custom on the way from, um, from leather and lumber goods, LLG handcrafted now. Okay. Um, but, oh, okay. Let me finish the uh, pocket check before we forget. I have an, uh, EO or let's see, Olight I5T, a custom wallet from again, LLG handcrafted and, a uh, special edition handkerchief from uh, this guy. You might have heard of him, Renegade EDC, uh, with uh, Dunder Mifflin logo on it. There that we go. One of my one of my most carried handkerchiefs. Oh, and gets a lot sure. of compliments at the uh, at work too. Oh, I bet. Yeah, not very often you get to see a handkerchief uh, that is 
uh, kind of branded like that with with Dunder Mifflin or some other pop culture icon, and that that probably is overall one of my favorite uh, handkerchiefs that I've made, uh, just because I'm a tremendous Office fan. Oh yeah, me too. Love okay, it. Uh, well, I will go into uh, my wrist check and uh, pocket check. So I went a little bit on the bougie side. Uh, so I am currently wearing my uh, Omega Seamaster. Uh, this is the 45 millimeter version with the uh, date black on black, uh, and I am wearing it with a um, a Zulu diver silicone band. The knife uh, that I have in my pocket is a recent acquisition, which is the Olamic Rainmaker. Uh, this is a big hoss of a knife with a four-inch blade, uh, overall length of nine and three-quarter inches when open, titanium uh, scales, um, frame lock, and we'll hit the ASMR before we get too far in. So nice. Wow crisp open it makes a lot of noise because it is basically a pocket katana um, as always i am carrying my uh, vero pry bar and i am carrying uh, one of the holiday hanks that i made which is the Cernunos uh, hank which is the god of the wild the celtic god of the wild and then um, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, Renegade EDC is going to soon be releasing a leather line, and the wallet that I have in my pocket is actually one of my own making. Uh, it's a card slip with a cash fold on the front and a coin slip on the back for carrying those uh, challenge coins that we all know and love. The challenge coin that is in the slip uh, is from a uh, collaborative effort from some Instagram uh, buddies, Captain Ricky, uh, and a few... Um, other people with the 1706 coin. It's one of my favorites, absolute favorites to carry. Uh, and as I'm sitting here this evening, that is all I've got on my person. So, uh, nice, fun uh, EDC uh, pocket check. And uh, it's it's funny that you brought up the, uh, the Belova Marine Star because I actually had one sitting on my desk uh, right in front of me because uh, one of the future episodes uh, that I, I was writing today actually was on uh, this watch. Uh, so mine has the, um, the carbon fiber uh, dial, black on black with the, the orange hands, which I think is uh, pretty common with the Marine Star, and mine has uh, the date window uh, as well. And this, this watch is absolutely fantastically built. Um, it, it has a nice weight to it. It has a rigidity that even my Omega doesn't really have like there's just this little bit of extra heft um, and masculinity to it that brings it a little bit above the Omega uh, in those regards uh, for me. So uh, you you kind of touched on it uh, a little bit, um, but the the first question that I wanted to get into or the first topic that I wanted to get into is uh, what is a watch uh, for you or what is the meaning? of a watch for you? The reason I got into it was uh, because I wear dress clothes at work and I just wanted something. I have, I have a lot of tattoos and I keep my sleeves rolled up generally cause I'm just a, uh, I run warm <laughs> and I wanted to have something to just kind of finish the look. And uh, I started buying a couple of watches just for myself, and it was 
when I when we bought my first watch, I shouldn't even say I. When my wife and I went to uh, you know Penny's or wherever it was to buy my first watch uh, since we were since I've been married, it was one of those things where you really genuinely question: Can I spend the ninety bucks? <laughs> you know, can I drop? The 80 or 90 bucks, it was a relic watch, which looking back, I mean, I bought a, a, a watch identical to it, but a different color uh, a couple of months ago for $25. Um, so just to give you an idea of the actual value of that watch. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you really, you're looking at something, you're like, man, that's gorgeous. Can I even, can I afford to go ahead and just splurge a little bit to to start something here, start a collections, which wasn't even my <laughs> goal to begin, but... Now, when I look at my collection, I you know I have a 10, 10 slot watch box that always has ten in it and one on top, whatever I'm wearing that day or the next day or planning to wear. Um, it reminds me of a time when I genuinely wondered, can I splurge on myself and get myself a, an eighty or ninety dollar item? And I'm a little bit past that in life now. Um, I mean, I'm not buying expensive watches at the moment either. I have one decent, decently expensive watch uh, that's still being made, but uh, all of my other watches range around the hundred to hundred and fifty dollar mark. But uh, they remind me of that. Can I even do it? <laughs> can I even? Uh, can oh, I yeah. even grab this? Oh yeah. So, uh, and then of course, you know, I've got one that was given to me as a birthday present on my thirtieth birthday, which was a pretty big uh, milestone. Uh, especially for me <laughs> and uh that's uh yeah that's what they that's what they remind me of when i look at my watch box or when i'm selecting one for the day oh, okay okay yeah and uh you know watches watches are actually a relatively new thing uh for me as well i would say that probably within the last year uh i i really started to get into watches personally and i've, I've had watches you know all through my life i can remember um my grandmother buying me a, a Mickey Mouse Timex, uh, which, you know, if I still had it today would, would probably be worth a pretty significant amount of money. Cause it was one of the original, um, Mickey Mouse Timexes that, that was made. And then I went from that to, to carrying a, a pocket watch because that's what my, my grandfather always had. And my grandfather was really a, uh, kind of a, a, a beacon of that, that gentleman, um, attribute that I wanted to be. He, he had one eye, uh, because of having a, uh, a work related accident. So he didn't have reading glasses. He had a reading monocle. He, he carried a pocket watch, um, very giant, tall man, uh, six foot four. Uh, so he always exuded this kind of like dominant attitude and, uh, gentlemanly attribute that I wanted to, to replicate in myself as I, as I continued to grow older not being a person that likes jewelry, uh, for most of my life, I never touched a watch, uh, because I didn't like having something on my wrist. Uh, and my pockets were full of knives and tools and everything else. So a pocket watch wasn't feasible as well. But this, uh, 2020 was really the year where I made the decision. Like, you know what? I, I want to have a watch. I'm going to have a watch. I'm going to buy it. Uh, and that, that really just started the whole, uh, watch addiction. I would say the rabbit hole that I jumped into that, uh, that has turned into the watch collection that I have now. So we've talked about your first watch. Um, what exactly, um, 
made you want to uh, to really brand yourself or get into the hobby that is horology or or timekeeping? Well, that was a a function of as far as branding myself. That was a function of uh, a lot of time on my hands and uh, passion intended. for photography, <laughs> and uh, and not a lot to shoot. You know, we uh, you've got your family, you got the normal things you take pictures of on a daily basis. But and I gotta I gotta give props to my wife because I bought her a set of flashes, uh, Godox 8200, uh, and a, and a little wireless transmitter to, to set it off as an off camera flash. And she sat down with, um, one of my bottles of bourbon and, um, one of my first like two or three watches that I had purchased and a couple other manly items. And if you, if you scroll through my page, you'll see the, the, everything I've, Almost, I shouldn't say everything, but almost every shot I take is in some way informed by that kind of shot that she did. Uh, She did one with a bourbon and a cigar. She did one with uh, the watches and some little wood accents that she she had found um, around the house from a puzzle. And just did an awesome job practicing with the flesh. And I was so inspired by that. And then, uh, you know, having nothing to do in 2020, nowhere to go, uh, needed needed an outlet for my creativity, somewhere to put the pictures. We've been shooting professionally for five years, six years now, and uh, just wanted I wanted an excuse to create something that fed me because, oh, yeah. as a man in the photography industry, you get a lot of clients, a lot of jobs that, um, not gonna, you know, cast disparagements about my bread and butter, but, uh, that don't really feed the male energy (laughs) that, that we like the, the, the fine time pieces, the scotch and cigars, the things that, that would generally tickle us in conversation. Yeah. You can only, uh, see so many shared Pinterest boards before you're like, yeah, I really need to shoot a, uh, a bottle of whiskey or a cigar or coffee or, you know, something. Uh, the, yes. and, then, and then after I shoot that bottle of whiskey, I will take pictures of it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> okay. So um, I, I kind of mentioned a little bit in passing of what, what got me into horology being that, uh, that gentlemanly uh, man figure uh, in my life. But uh, one of the other reasons, and I, I don't think a lot of people know this, but I've got a really uh, hyperactive mind. Um, Borderline ADHD, probably actual ADHD if I went and uh, uh, talked to the doctor about it. Um, but uh, one of the big reasons for putting something on my wrist and not not a an Apple Watch was that I noticed when I was looking at something intricate and mechanical, I could devote my, my mind to thinking about how it worked or watching it move. So like I mentioned in episode uh, two of the podcast, I use a watch to really root my mind. Uh, that that rhythm of the second hand gives you something to focus on that is that is intricate. You have to see every second the ticking of that hand, um, which is calming. That rhythm of that second hand uh, really calms me. And then you also get to 
elaborate on the thoughts of timelessness. You know, that, that some of these watches that uh, I hope to own someday and some of the watches maybe that I even own now, they could be here long after I'm dead. Some of the watches that I could acquire right now or in the near future, um, the original owner could have passed away a, a great deal of time ago, which kind of roots you in the past, the present, and the future. Uh, and that likens back to the, the quote that we talked about in the, in the beginning, you know, time is always ticking away. The past increases, the future recedes. And you talked about that being somewhat nihilistic. You know, our futures are always, always there. Uh, and I, I kind of see that when I look into the dial or the crown of a watch. Uh, that really helps to, to calm me, to root my mind, and to keep me focused on, on what I need to go and do uh, going forward. So moving from um, what got us into horology and, and what a watch is to us, uh, I've mentioned a couple times that uh, sentiment really p- plays a, a big role in the stuff that I keep in my pockets, the stuff that I keep uh, on my wrist. And I know that um, having a decently long relationship with you, that a sentiment plays a decent amount uh, into your life as well. Um, so you've spoken on your page about uh, sentimental value of items. Um, let's talk a little bit about what some of those items are and what role watches could possibly play uh, in that, in your past, and possibly in your in your future. So one of the, and probably the, the item that you're thinking of is a ring that I got from my grandfather who passed away uh, in September. And uh, my grandfather was an iron worker and he worked uh, for years and years in the St. Louis area and, and that uh, the St. Louis, uh, East St. Louis of Illinois area, Belleville, Illinois. And uh, he worked for Coca-Cola in the prison there and a lot of places that were using, uh, unfortunately, um, asbestos. And so after a couple of year battle with, with, um, mesothelioma he he passed away um and being an iron worker he he owned his own company selling steel buildings incorporated uh he sold buildings he he did every part of the job you know from from the ground up and he was he was honest uh people people begged him to come in and run their jobs because he'd get rid of the guys who were just looking to loaf and just a really hardworking, honest guy and uh, that ring that somehow who, you know, this, this man who I've been a foot, almost a, a foot or more taller than for, you know, the, my whole adult life. Um, somehow this, this ring that looks just like a class ring with the blue gem in it and has the ironworker local he worked at, um, it, it fit my hand perfectly. I, I don't know. I mean, I must have small fingers or thin <laughs> fingers, or he must have had, you know, big stubby ones or something, but uh, everybody was floored. No, when I asked for the ring, uh, mostly just to take pictures of it. Um, but when I asked for it, they, everybody kind of looked at me like, yeah, right. That thing's not going to fit. Are you going to do it? somebody, t- two people, my uncle and my aunt both asked me if I was going to put it on a necklace. Like, well, no, yeah. it's a little big. I'm going to try to wear it. <laughs> and it, it fit, it fit perfectly. Um, 
and uh, I haven't been wearing it the last couple of days because it scared me the one day and actually fell off while I was putting my seatbelt on. Uh, luckily, I was in the car and I had my flashlight on me. And I found it pretty quick, but that's that scared me enough to put it down for a little while until I oh yeah until I uh, yeah put the uh, holiday weight back on. I could probably put it back on now, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, having something like that, that connects me to my grandfather who, you know, the guy who taught me how to hunt, taught me how to fish really, um, didn't get into EDC until a while until somewhat recently, but, um, he kind of laid the groundwork for those things, um, in me, you know, he, he was definitely the one who I got my first three or four pocket knives from, you know, he's the one who taught me how to, uh, skin a deer and, He's the one who chopped off the bunny rabbit's foot and handed it to me after we just brought home a sack full of bunnies from hunting. Um, I have now a Gerber Leatherman style Gerber multi-tool that I also got from him that if you scroll back on my page, you'll see a picture with, um, with the ring as the kind of the centerpiece and that Gerber multi-tool in there. Um, a couple of knives that I got from him as well that, are, are up there and, and make excellent uh, things and uh, excellent. I don't want to say photo props, but that's, that's what I mean. And, and mm-hmm. I'll qualify that here because they're more than props to me. And what I kept telling my wife, and if you, if you scroll back again on the page, you you'll see somewhere I, I laid out his, his uh, iron worker um, stamp book from being an apprentice and some of his knives and the pocket watch that I actually gifted him. And then a little, a little, um, penny that we shot with a BB gun and just some other things that kind of describe who he was. Um, but when I got this collection of stuff and I, I kind of, they said, here's his stuff. You can go through it, take anything that means anything to you. And to see the, the kind of eclectic smattering of things that I grabbed, you know, aside from there being a little bit of a theme of knives, um, you would have no idea what I was planning to do with it, but yeah. to have these things and know that, you know, forever, when I look back at my feed, I'm going to see that pocket watch uh, laying. When I first got that map Hank that I bought from you, that pocket watch that I'm holding in those pictures, that's my grandfather's pocket watch. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that book that I put in there in the background for some texture, that's his, that's his little local apprentice stamp book. Um, so when I look back at these pictures now forever, uh, and I hope to have this page for a long time. I hope to do well with it, but I'll always look back and see my grandfather in some of these images. And, oh, yeah. um, that's just, there's priceless to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't go in asking for jewelry. I wanted one, one item really. And the, the rest is all worthless to anybody else. I mean, I picked up a pencil with a, uh, with a pen, uh, clip glued to it because it just showed me, I'd never seen this pencil before but I'd seen things like this that he'd done. And he just showed me like this enterprising guy who thought I need a pencil for drafting and uh, it doesn't have a clip and I need a clip. So he just ripped one off of a pen and just super glued it to the pencil. I mean, (laughs) it's, it sounds silly to anybody else, but it just, it just reminds me who he was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those Those are what people from the, uh, from the older days, they were definitely uh, utilitarian and they didn't have the access to, to necessarily everything that we do. Uh, being yeah. able to just go on Amazon and, and buy whatever. So they definitely had to make uh, make do with what they had. Uh, and it, it's really interesting that you brought up the uh, the penny because I can remember I can remember when you did that photo set 
Um, and I remember looking at it and I, I tend to be a person that, um, really delves into things. So when I see a picture of a friend, uh, on online, I don't just like glimpse at the photo, see the light line, see the leading lines. Great photo. Good job. Uh, I tend to, I've got my phone, I'm zooming in, I'm looking at the, the details, you know, in in things. And I remember seeing that little, that little copper disc. And I think the light, uh, if I remember correctly, the light didn't quite play to it to really elicit what it was, but I saw the little dimple in it. Uh, and the first thing that came to my mind, uh, I actually have a, uh, a relative that was, was shot in a, in a time of, of war and had a, um, a metal cigarette case, uh, in their, their breast pocket. And the, the bullet made an indent on that, uh, on that metal cigarette case. And I don't know why, but that was the first thing, uh, that my mind uh, ran to, but now it makes so much sense, uh, talking about the, the BB and the penny. Um, so that, that's, that's really cool. And I can remember that, uh, that little detail, uh, from the photo. So props to me for some, for some good memory. Forensics there. Yeah. Yeah. So something I noticed and, and stuck with me. Uh, and, uh, I, I think that that photo set that you did was really when, uh, you know, we'd probably been in the galley group for a couple of months, uh, at that point and I'd connected with some people, uh, and it always took moments like that for me to, uh, to kind of bond with somebody and get a little bit more interested in, in what they were doing. And as I've mentioned a couple of times, my, my grandfather played such a tremendous role in my life. My grandfather was the one that, that raised me and taught me entrepreneurship and taught me how to work and how to be a gentleman and how to treat women. Uh, so when that event came up in your life and you were, were talking about it. I think that was kind of the moment that, that my brain or my, my psyche kind of, uh, bonded with your story a little bit more. And I started to take notice of more of everything that you did and went back on your page and looked at some things that you, you had done. And that's when we, we connected, figured out that, you know, we were both living in Ohio. We're not that far away from each other, you know, an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes. We had those ties uh, that kind of uh, burst forth, and then I've really, you know, paid a lot of attention to your your page and the growth uh, of your of your branding uh, since then. Okay, uh, so what was that uh, that first watch uh, that you had? It is the first first watch I purchased. Uh, ended up going back to the store. So it was that relic that I mentioned. It was a black, um, wasn't even like a PVD coat, I don't think, but the black wore off of the band, so I took it back. I just thought this isn't worth the $90 I spent on it or whatever I spent, 80 or 90 bucks. Um, so I'll, I'll skip that one and go to where I ended up uh, kind of cultivating this the love for watches that I have now, and that is... I'll give him a shout out here, even though I've never actually personally spoken to the guy. Um, on on eBay, there is a seller called Watches Half Price. That's all one word: Watches Half Price. He sells a lot of uh, a lot of watches that are made and uh, manufactured by the Bull of a Group, um, and and a couple of different a couple of different manufacturers too. But I, what I believe he does is he goes in services like at a Macy's or a, a 
Kohl's or anywhere with a jewelry department. He'll go in and service the watches that are on display, change out the batteries, and then he gets them when the new watches come in and he refurbishes them and then sells them. And he's able to sell them with a factory refurbished sticker. Um, they're always in great condition. They always have a new battery. They they work perfectly. Um, I've bought I bought five watches through his store, and uh, to start off, I got this this little Bulova that was just it was a little bit too small for my wrist. I think it was about a thirty eight millimeter, which is just a little bit too small for my wrist. I'm a six two, three hundred and fifty pound guy. Uh, but I love that watch. It was so cool. I have since sold it to a friend of mine. I still see him wearing it. Um, and then I, I moved to a gold Whitnauer and a, so the gold Whitnauer would have been like three, uh, $350 or so, three ninety at a jewelry store. And I paid $54 on his store online. And it was, I just thought, I mean, and these are watches that when you get them in your hand, they feel as solid and as good a quality as, as any watch you've ever felt. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you pick it up, you pick it up, converses another one. The only, the only thing that's going to be a cost as far as value difference in this watch to a, to a, a big name is that these watches were just quartz fashion watches, but they had every, all the build quality that you'd expect from a watch with a brand Wittenauer, Bulova, uh, on the dial. And I had, I had two Wittenauers, I had one in silver, one in gold. Um, I still have the silver one. And the gold one has since uh, been sold. And I bought. I have purchased three watches from him as gifts. And one of them was a four hundred, four or five hundred dollar Wittenauer that I think I paid thirty four dollars from him for. I mean, it is again. It's just a quartz watch, but it was a cool encrusted with uh, uh, Swarovski crystals around the dial. Not a not a not like wrapper style, but just yeah. one one line of Swarovski crystals around the uh, outside of the bezel. Um, just a really cool dress watch, really nice looking dress watch for when you want, when you want somebody to notice your watch. Yes. And, uh, but to, to be able to get those things and, and that huge value to me, you know, paying 50, 30 to $50 for a watch that you can see the MSRP, like you could go to Zales or K's website and see what the MSRP for that watch is. Um, that was huge to me. And that kind of launched my interest in it. And then I quickly went from there to uh, I have gotten some Chinese like lookalikes that aren't fakes. I mean, they're questionable, <laughs> but they're not fakes in that, you know, this one that looks like a, an AP uh, Royal Oak does not say Audemars Piguet on it, doesn't claim to be a Royal Oak. It's just of about as similar as you can get to the style yes. of an AP Royal Oak. Um, and then, and seeing those and seeing the solid build quality of, of some of those has kind of led my interest. I've got a lot of Invicta and they do, I, I don't have anything of their design. I've ones that have taken design cues from Rolex or, or from, uh, from Omega. Mm-hmm. And then I have some others. Um, but I mean, it, much like my tattoos, once I started the collection, it ramped up fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ink and ink and watches and knives and all of those things can really get away from us. Look, I'm quicker, still sore about the realize. knives, so we're not going to talk about that today. I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, like I said, one of my first watches was the, the Mickey Mouse Timex. Uh, but 
in in more recent times, uh, when I've really gotten into uh, watches as as an everyday carry item, uh, the first watch that I carried or acquired uh, was a, a Hammy, Hamilton Khaki King, uh, and I've actually been I've been made fun of a couple of times uh, for this because they they say that it's the grandpa version uh, because it's the champagne dial, uh, but to me personally. Uh, that that champagne dial again has the the an elegance to it, so I don't feel out of place wearing it um, and crawling through a crawl space or crawling through an attic because I know it, it's a field watch. It's made uh, for that. It's a day date watch, uh, so I can reference it um, when, much like everything else in my life, I'm writing an antiquated paper check, uh, and I need to know what day it is, what date it is, uh, to write everything on there instead of referencing it in my phone. Um, but that that watch is really what started the the hunt for those mechanical um timeless style watches that Hamilton um that Hamilton was really really it <clears throat> so i would say that that being my first watch that my my favorite watch in my collection is uh, is the the Omega uh, that I'm wearing today, and that's probably one of the reasons why I subconsciously chose uh, the Omega this morning when I left uh, was because I I kind of had an inkling that uh, this episode would be coming at some point, and uh, that was just the first watch uh, that I grabbed, and it's probably the most expensive uh, watch uh, in my collection. Uh, what would you say uh, is your um, would be your Grail watch? or watches, uh, you can definitely bring up more than one. Uh, and why uh, do you think that is a, is a grail watch? Why is that watch something that you really want to, uh, to seek after? So I have, I have one grail watch, which isn't, isn't even going to, it's kind of funny because it's not even that unattainable. Um, but as we, as we talked about before, I'm just not in a, spending multiple thousands of dollars on one piece place yet. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever even get to that point that I want to do that as much as I love watches. I'm sure I'll eventually have, you know, that, that one. Um, but I don't know that I'll ever have a box full of the, uh, you know, the five to $10,000 pieces that most people who, who get into this hobby do. Um, but my, my favorite watch to wear is is this Chinese the brand name is is Parnas so if you've looked into Chinese watches at all you've probably seen Parnas pop up they're a they're a pretty big um, I don't actually think the name is Chinese I think the name is um, oh man uh, Lebanese I'm not sure but uh, but they are Chinese watch manufacturer and um, and the reason I like them is because their build quality is so solid. I have not had a single uh, Parnas break on me. I have not pulled uh, the the stem out of one that you hear people with cheap Chinese watches pulling the stems out. Um, all of them that I've had have been have been automatic. Um, this one is a is a very close uh, lookalike to a, a GMT Panerai Luminor submersible. Um, it's an Italian. Uh, Submar- Submariner or Italian dive watch, and it's it, the feature. The notable features are the the pillow style uh, or cushion, I should say, uh, shape to the case. 
even though it does have a perfectly round face. And uh, a, it is a crown lock and guard. So the crown guard is a semicircle that sits over an, a, a larger-than-average crown and this little uh, lock piece that flips out from the top. Um, it's all stainless. And uh, some of the things I really like about this, first of all, it's a GMT function, which I don't use um, like most people use to put a second time zone on. The way I use the GMT function on any of the GMT watches I have is to set the 24-hour time. So you have your 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 standard three hands that tell you minutes, seconds, hour, and the, the fourth hand on this I use to tell me the 24-hour. So that last hand goes around the around the dial one time every day instead of twice like like the other um, big hand. So okay. The uh, uh pretty interesting. The reason what's that? I said that's pretty interesting uh to use it yeah. with kind of not everybody would use it with that type of functionality. Well, the reason that I chose that for this specific one and I used to put some of my I had a couple of other GMT uh complication watches i think this might be my last one right now yeah this is my only one at the moment um but the other ones that i've had have all had a gmt bezel it had 24-hour bezel so you could set it to whatever you wanted it was very obvious what it was but the the luminor the panerai uh style does not have a 24-hour bezel so you just have your 12-hour dial uh so to me setting the gmt function to anything but the 24-hour uh, didn't make sense because you can't turn the dial to set it where you want it. Um, so you just have to remember how you had it set. I don't know. It, was, it, it might sound odd, but there's no dial denoting when, what time it is on the outside of the, of the bezel. Um, so to me, not having that there and only having the 12 hour uh, markers indices, uh, it didn't, it didn't make sense to do anything other than the 24 hour on this. Um, okay. But it is an automatic. It's got about a 40-hour power reserve, which I really, uh, really like because it's it's probably the only watch in my collection that I can take off, uh, not wear for a day or, or sometimes even two and not have to reset it, which is really nice because it's got that GMT function. So uh, setting it can be a bit of a hassle. Yeah. Uh, and I find myself more often than not just adv- uh, winding it and then advancing the hours until it's correct. <laughs> so yeah. I try to keep it in my rotation at least a couple times a week so that I don't have to do that very often. Gosh. Um, Probably the best it, purchase that I made last year in regards to watches was a watch winder. Um, because the majority of my watches are automatics. Uh, and a lot of times I'll get into a kick of wearing a watch. So I might wear my Omega all week. But then Mm -hmm. I have my Hamilton, which is day-date complication. So it's like, okay, well, let me spend 35 minutes getting all of this set correctly. Um, That that watch winder really has has saved so much time. And now I can just pick up whatever watch I want, put it on, and it's good to go. So I do want to get a two-slot watch winder uh, for this watch. And I have another one that I said uh, looks like an uh, AP Royal Oak that is a an automatic perpetual calendar function. And that perpetual calendar has subdials for the moon phase, mm-hmm. the day, uh, month and the date of the day of the month. So the day, the actual day of the week and the day of the month are subdials on there. 
Um, and, and it's got one, two, three pushers and the main, the main crown, um, and the pushers are inset. So you have to use a, you have to use a tool to push them. So yes, setting that one, I, I, am ashamed to admit as a watch guy, I have thrown that one on my wrist because I wanted to wear it and just walked out the door because I did not feel like taking the time (laughs) to set it. Uh, so yes, if I bought a watch winder, I get, I get a two, um, a two bay watch winder, two slot watch winder and put these two in it because the other automatics I have are pretty much for the most part, just a uh, date, uh, you know, either time only or date, uh, function. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, a perpetual calendar, that's been something that's been on my, on my watch list, um, for, for a watch type, uh, that I've wanted to, acquire for quite some time, but I've just never found the the right one. But that perpetual calendar movement is is really something I would almost like to go to a a watch service center or somewhere where they make watches and just, you know, physically stand there in front of them and watch uh, someone assemble that because there's so much intricacy with getting all of those parts to work in tandem. Uh, it's really, uh, really quite amazing. And that's that's one of the interesting things and one of the I mean this this one that I have here it's really cool looking it's really nice looking and the watch that it that it resembles is a hundred thousand dollar watch um, but they have there's this is an, a Chinese movement inside that has worked for me with no issue um, the I, the very idea that it can do what it can do um, especially at the price point that this watch falls into is is frankly astounding. Um, but before we before we get off the topic, the one of the reasons that that Panerai that I mentioned is one of my grails is because that is the first and really the only watch that I that I thought, man, I like that watch. I like the feel of it on my wrist, and I and I would love to own the the original, which the real one with the GMT complication. Uh, we're talking in the twelve to thirteen thousand dollar range, if I remember oh, correctly. Yeah. Um, now you can get a standard, you know, date uh, version that looks very similar, just has one less hand for for four or five thousand. So that was most likely what will end up in my box eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's got this sandwich dial. It's beautiful. It's got depth to it. Um, all of the indices uh, glow and they're actually numbers, which is uh, the only watch in my box that has actual numbers on the dial. I think the closest thing after that before plain uh, check indices are, I have one with uh, Roman numerals too, but, um, but, but the last reason is because I don't, I'm a bracelet man at heart. I want a really nice bracelet watch. I don't want to mess with leather straps, with silicone straps, with NATO straps. None of those things are, are for me. Um, but this watch, I really like, and I think it's because it's got a 24 millimeter band is a very wide band and most leather bands feel chintzy and thin to me. Um, but I liked it so much that I actually took when the original band that came with this, this version, which is probably the only place it feels like they cut corners on the cost. Um, when it started to peel and get gross, I actually, I already had Ross from anchor heritage, making me a, a watch trap for the watch that I, the Genoa that I have on the way that is not um, finished yet. I already had him making a watch strap for me for that watch. 
and I said, "Hey, you know, would it be tr- would it be trouble to just have you make a second watch strap?" And I I sent him the original strap from this watch and had him because he couldn't order this Panerai style buckle that is just an iconic um buckle to, to this watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent him the original strap so that he could pull the buckle off and, and make it into one that now has the anchor stamped on it and is handmade by my friend. And I know will last forever. And, and you can bet your boogie that when I, uh, when I do eventually add the real McCoy to my watch box, um, that this strap will be going over to that, to that one. Because that's one of the things I really like every day is think is knowing that I've got something that was made by hand by somebody I love, uh, somebody I'm I'm very uh, close to in the community. Oh, for sure. And painstakingly, because he was he was in the middle of making these when he uh, when he had got those stitches on his knuckle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Ross such a such a tremendous guy over there at anchor heritage uh i've got two of his watches and actually sitting on my desk is one of his uh leather gear organizers uh that he did uh didn't do it specifically for me uh but when i saw it i just i wanted to grab it up i wanted to support him it's got a um a raw unfinished edge so it's like um it, it, i remember it seeing like that a, yeah, it looks like a live kinda, edge. I was kind of mad you grabbed it first. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, I, I've used it a little bit, uh, but really it sits on my desk more as an accent uh, than anything. And I just, again, love having um, <clears throat> items from from those guys. You know, one of the reasons why I have Ricky's coin, I've got a couple of wallets from uh, from Ross, the the gear organizer from Ross. Uh, I, I, I try to support all the, all the guys that... Uh, that are in the group and they, they just do such amazing things um, that it really just makes you like them that much more because everybody has their own intricacies. Uh, You know, like I I said, I I'm into uh, making leather goods as well and getting ready to, to launch a brand, but it doesn't mean that I like um, Ross's stuff any less or the other Chris uh, over at LLG. He makes some amazing stuff. I've got a couple of his coin slips uh, and especially mm-hmm. since he made the the most recent one for, uh, for Captain Ricky's drop. Um, I, I feel like I've got a little bit of everything uh, from, from multiple people in the group uh, with the exception of you. Uh, and I was actually uh, just before we started talking about the, uh, the podcast episode, I was on your, your site and looking at the galley book and uh considering that and putting it on my, uh, on my bookshelf. So that'll probably be one of my, um, one of my near future, uh, purchases coming up here. The, uh, the galley book, it's, it, I'm glad you mentioned that, um, because it, it leads me to something that was, that relates to, um, what you said, you know, buying, supporting your friends in the community. Um, and I, I mean, I sell prints, but it's, it, it, I don't expect, I do that purely as a, Hey, if you really like my stuff that much, but most of my, most of my stuff on my Instagram doesn't lend itself to that. Um, but the reason that I, that I put together the galley book, the way that it is, is because I, I, I mean, I could have easily ordered this book leather bound and, and it, it might've even been cheaper. <laughs> um, my first thought was I want to get this thing raw with no, with nothing on it 
And I'm just going to have, it was already, already talked to Chris. He was already going to sell it through his website. And I said, what if you bound this book for us? You know, he's binding these by hand. Um, he got to learn something out of in, in doing so. And, and it, and it goes to support him. You know, I gave the guys who participated in the book, uh, we gave them a discount code where they bought it for cost. So, you know, nobody was really making anything on that. I'm not making anything on the book at all, but, um, but putting it out there so that if anyone else wants to buy it, they're supporting a maker. And that's, it's actually, um, you know, what that's, that's my goal. The next, the next couple things that we have down, coming down the pike for this, for the galley community, um, which for anyone who doesn't know is a community on discord that you're all welcome to join. If you shoot me a message, you can, uh, we'll get you a link. Um, but I, we have so many good makers in this community that I just want to, uh, I, I have a couple of ideas that I want to run. I'm not interested in making money on them myself. The money, we're not interested in making money for the galley using these things. I just want to commission a couple of things so that the makers in our community can benefit from it. And because I know how I feel when I go on and I browse Chris's site and I think either, uh, is there something here that I could, I could get for myself or is there something here I could get as a gift uh, when I look at Asher's site or I'm preaching about the Asher knives that I love because I like Justin, you know, the guy who runs Asher knives, I think he's an awesome guy. Um, and I talk about his knives constantly and I'm very loyal to him is one of his knives is always going to be my pocket, regardless of what else is in there. Okay. Um, I want to further these communities because I know, uh, between my wife and I doing photography, um, I would love for that to be 100% of our income eventually. Now, you know, running a household with a, with a child, it, it requires a lot of money and to, to go full bore at one thing and have that be a hundred percent of your income is, Amen. is a very difficult thing, especially now in the gig economy we're in right now. Um, but I know how much I want that. And I know how much how, we're blessed right now with, with my, the, my job, my day job, I make good enough money that, that Kayla is able to, my wife is able to stay home with our son for the, the for the most part, whenever she's needed and then do photography, uh, family sessions and, and kids, maternity, stuff like that. Uh, when, uh, and she kind of can tailor her schedule to her requirements and uh, not everybody has that. So when I see a friend really making a go out of it, whether it's leather goods, whether it's making handkerchiefs, whether it's, you know, making knives, I, I want nothing more than to support them, you know, to a fault. Sometimes I'm sure that I've spent probably more than I need to on that's, some of these things. And, uh, and I, we all, <laughs> yes, and, but uh, uh, anyway, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. All I want is I want to support you guys, support the makers in the community in such a way that you can, uh, you can kind of make this your full-time thing, hopefully. For sure. Yeah. And just to interject something here, um, I actually have a couple of Asher knives as well, and I've talked about them. I know that I've taken a couple of posts, and it's been quite a while since I've I've hit back on um, Asher. Uh, but I have his his Sentry, so it's his Spearpoint S thirty five VN Blue Macarta handle, and I remember buying it, receiving it, and then posting a picture of it. And I believe that I labeled it the Bug Out Killer. Um, those of uh, those of you that listen, uh, that have talked to me in in uh, in DMs or emails or anything like that, uh, you probably know that I have really started hating on Benchmade. Uh, Benchmade, I think, has been 
um, they, they made some really uh, intuitive uh, and ingenious designs early on, and then they've just been kind of riding the coattails of their own accomplishments ever since then. And when Asher came out, uh, so now that the, the Axis lock is, is kind of open and out in the, in the world, um, Asher really took the design of Benchmade's bug out. And I don't think that they're, they're the same knife, uh, but I would consider the, the Sentry and a couple of the other knives that he's doing to be bug out killers. They've, they've really, uh, he puts a better knife steel in them. Uh, he has the, uh, like with the Sentry, they have the stainless steel liners. So the bug out, of course, is just a plastic handled knife uh, that bends and torques and feels cheap in the hand. And then you look at his Sentry, which is what, about $60 cheaper with a better blade steel, stainless steel liner lo- um, liners, axis lock, good um, stippled textured G10. He's really doing some amazing things uh, over there, yeah. and especially considering the money that he's selling them for. Um, I think, of course, you need to get your name out, and you know, keeping the price on the low end uh, will help to do that. Uh, but those knives blow the bug out away and could for sure be sold at about 15 to 20% more than what the bug out is sold for. Yeah. And this, I mean, these, I'm not looking at the Sentry. I have a Sentry and I have a Nomad, which are basically uh, the same knife uh, aside from the blade. The blade shape is different on the Sentry and the Nomad. Um, But I have one on, on polished brass bearings, I believe, or brass, um, not bearings, uh, washers, washers. Mm-hmm. and what, and then the nomad that I bought, which I actually ended up, and this is one thing that's really cool because I have, I have one on, on washers, which was the century. And I like, I bought the nomad with a different color handle, a uh, different color scales. And the nomad I bought had caged ceramic bearings but I like the sh- blade shape on the Sentry more, so I knew it would be in my pocket more. And I liked the, I liked the bearings, and I liked the color of the of the <laughs> G10 on yeah. the Nomad more. So I did a little surgery, first time ever taking a knife apart, and uh, and they they were actually completely swappable. I was able to take even though one came with bearings and one came with uh, washers, I was still able to disassemble. And and move the blade from the Sentry over to the Nomad, making it a Sentry because that's the only difference <laughs> is the blade uh, on bearings. And and I mean, like you said, that that S thirty five VN steel, which um, as I understand it, is is a pretty decent steel for an entry level knife. Um, and then and then caged uh, ceramic bearings uh, and the G ten handle. I mean, when I got my first my Sentry. I I had never held a knife that was as and I and I'm not in the deep in the community. I haven't have a lot of of uh, experience with Spydercos and Benchmades and the other big names in the in the EDC entry level knives. Um, but I was thinking, man, this thing is worth has to be worth way more than it is than it costs. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I'm glad to hear like that. Yeah, <laughs> echoed. it feels like it in your hand. Uh, and I'm a I'm a person that likes high-end knives you know i would say that the average value of of the knives that are in my collection are in like the four to five hundred dollar range um and yet that asher century is still in my collection uh so that's just a testament there to 
uh, to the build quality and everything uh, of that. Uh, but now that we've we've gone out on like a ten minute tangent, um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> which I knew I knew exactly that this would happen, uh, just because uh, we both seem to be kind of kindred souls with that. Um, so going back to uh, the Grail watches, um, mine is actually really surprising uh, to me, and I think to probably other people, um, because this Grail quote unquote Grail watch. Uh, is actually a lower value watch than the Omega uh, that I tout about all the time. Uh, But this watch just, uh, it really gripped me the first time that I I saw it. Um, And there's a a lady in the EDC community, and every time she has this exact watch, uh, and every time she posts it, I I normally post that mouthwater emoji. Uh, And then I always put some text after it because I don't want it to be misrepresented as, you know, that I'm mouthwatering over her and not uh, the watch because the watch is what the focus point is. Uh, But it is a (laughs) big crown Oris um, with the, the date pointer and the, the very particular part that makes it a grail watch for me is it is a bronze case watch. Yes. Uh, so, so you're, it, you're talking about Aaron then? Yes. Yep. That is exactly who I'm talking about. Every time she posts that watch, uh, I make sure to, to like and comment and just tell her how jealous I am uh, that that watch is is on her wrist. So it's a, a green dial watch uh, with the cathedral-style hands. It has a date pointer instead of a date window. And then, of course, the bronze case, uh, which naturally patinas and will, I'm sure, look gorgeous. Um, and that, uh, the, the bronze-cased watch, uh, I actually have one currently, which is a hand-wind uh, Steinhardt. Uh, nav B er, um, that I received from uh, from a trade with MB Wild, um, and I have worn that watch a tremendous amount of time. Even though I don't really like winding a watch on the on a daily uh, schedule, uh, the 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 change, the patina, the look, the the heritage quality of that watch really grips me. And with the Oris, you know, being a a big crown Swiss made bronze uh with the cathedral hands just absolutely gorgeous watch through and through um that is the grail watch uh for me right now i'm not sure where i would go uh once i received it i know that i have a um i really want to have one of every model that uh, omega brings out you know with the um the seamaster and the speedmaster um but the the oris is really if I could achieve one of those right now, I would be the happiest watch guy uh, for the remainder of the year. It is um, a really nice watch. Oh, fantastic. And she's such a good photographer that she really makes it look so darn good every single time. I mean, she makes uh, all of her gear look good. Her photos are amazing. But uh, that watch especially, when I'm paging through my feed, it's like a, a lighthouse that just kind of sticks out because you, you lose some photos uh, in the in the crowd. Uh, but that watch, that that look just, just really sticks out um, in a finite manner. It's so, kind of funny because she, she and I have similar taste in watches. She actually has a Parnas that looks just like a Rolex Daytona that was in a lot of her pictures, and she's got another one that looks just like a Speedmaster. And then you mm-hmm. kind of watch her 
her feed uh, evolve upwards where she kind of moved to Seiko and then she's got a couple of vintage um, I think she's got a vintage Timex and a vintage um, Omega that she that she posts on there and then she got a, a, that really nice Boris so yes I, I have been paying attention to her for a while I did not realize that she had 10,000 subscribers 10,000 followers that is awesome oh yeah yeah, I mean, not only is her photos fantastic, her gear is fantastic, but I mean, you also have a, a female in a predominantly male genre, uh, which, of course, we we all enjoy uh, to be able to to cord- coordinate with male and female. Uh, and because they are so rare in the community, I think that uh, we as men gravitate to them just because it's a like-minded individual of the opposite sex. You know, not for... Right for any reason outside of that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a married guy and completely faithful, uh, to my wife. So I don't use social media for, for anything like that. But, uh, but seeing a, a woman that has that same kind of taste in, you know, pocket jewelry and watches and leather goods, it's, it's like finding a kindred soul, uh, somewhere out there in the world. Uh, and it's, it's really refreshing. It's a novelty. It, it it's a novelty, yeah. That that nailed it on the head. I was looking for the word and just couldn't quite get it. Uh, but yes, definitely a novelty. Okay, so going from the Grail watches, um, and and this is something that I think uh, I think a lot of people that are either in the watch game or uh, looking to get into watches, this is an important topic uh, for all of us. And uh, this is something that you brought up in our messages. We were talking about this. Uh, this podcast, and it is what is a watch actually worth? What's its value, and what makes that? Is it a name? Is it the quality of uh, of materials? And I'd, I'd really like to get a uh, a feel of what your thoughts are uh, on that. So the value of a watch to me currently, what I what, of everything that's in my box, uh, let's just say if you know. Something happened, and I could only keep five watches. Um, the first ones to go would be the ones that I purchased myself. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that are most likely to stay, or I shouldn't say most likely, the ones that would will absolutely stay, the ones that would not, I would not question whether or not I should uh, get rid of them, are the ones that were purchased for me. Uh, regardless of price, uh, I have one that, is currently not in my box because the the back uh, the view case back is is broken, and it's a fifty dollar Timex sub uh, Submariner style just standard stainless steel with black accent sub, uh, but the back the view case back is sh- is chipped um, and it and it got a little bit of moisture inside so that is currently out of the rotation until I can figure out what to do with the case back. Um, but I would definitely keep it. That was purchased for me as a, as a birthday gift. Um, and, uh, I, uh, you know, that would be, there would be no question. Uh, I have another Invicta that my son wore to Kent to preschool. It is again, it's like a, it's a dive watch, all gold, uh, 50, probably 50 bucks. I think I spent on it. Uh, I bought this one for myself, but my son picked it out as his favorite, and I and I put it and it's and it's a fifty dollars watch. So, yeah, if he wants to wear it, for sure. That's one of the that's one of the great things about cutting your teeth in in a hobby like this with, uh, you know, not jumping off the deep end and spending an exorbitant amount of money that I don't have. 
but the uh, I wouldn't be able to get rid of this watch because he he expressed an interest in it. And I'm probably going to keep it until he is actually interested in watches and wants to wear it. Um, but the reason I brought up what the value of a watch is is because uh, when you think about watches, you know what what's the first watch brand that comes to mind anytime someone notices a watch on your wrist and says it's a really nice watch. Oh, is that probably. a Rolex? Rolex, Omega, yeah, Breitling, uh, you know, Panerai. Right. The uh, the the reason I bring it up is because as a watch guy, everyone who is even adjacent to the watch community, um, or maybe not even that, maybe just people who are more aware of watches but may not have an interest, right? They expect you to own a Rolex at some point. And as much as I would love to, um, and I am interested in Rolex, I'm interested in their history and uh, the racing uh, things that they've done and the, the Daytonas and the Paul Newmans and the amazing price that some of these old Rolex go for. Um, the game that Rolex plays with their customers and with their uh, products uh, is, is uh, less than appealing to me. So when I brought up value, the reason is because of uh, that watch that I mentioned I'm waiting on right now that is currently in production uh, because they haven't finalized the blue for the bezel yet is um, a Genot watch. And uh, I know I sent you the the link that explains a little bit about the mm-hmm. alleged history of Genot. Um but uh, for anybody who doesn't know, I'll give a high-level, very, very quick high-level thing because we could go on for a long time to talk about this. Um, but the alleged history of Genoa is that um, it is it is run by a man who was a very prolific Rolex uh, replica manufacturer, which which ticks a lot of people in the watch community off. A lot of people. He's... Um, do not like uh, his brand because they allege uh, that this is uh, the case. Now, I'm not going to mm-hmm. speak to whether or not it is the case. I, I obviously cannot speak to that uh, with any with any um, actual sure. knowledge, but <laughs> um, I can say that every review I've read of these um, these thousand to two thousand uh, dollar Ocean Rover watches that he has come out with over the past couple of years. Um, every review by anyone who is reviewing the watch as a watch and leaving their opinion of the company out of it has said that this watch is the only one that I put on my wrist and I feel like I'm wearing a Rolex that the quality of it, the, and, and, and most of them have said it keeps time at least as good, if not better than now they're reviewing a watch that had an in-house movement that Janelle made. Um, again, allegedly, <laughs> yeah. um, with the new ocean Rover two that I have pre-ordered, it will have a Salida or an Etta movement. Um, it just depends on when they, when they put the movement in, which one it will have. Um, but both a very good Swiss movements used in high end Swiss watches. Um, but they're selling these at a price point of when the ocean Rover two is released for, for, uh, the public, it is going to be a set, a $1,699 watch. So the reason I talk about value is because um, if widely uh, people in the know are saying that they couldn't tell the difference between this on their wrist and an $8,000 Rolex Submariner, 
how much are you actually paying just for the watch to say Rolex? Mm-hmm. Now, there's no question about the value of that watch saying Rolex because if you buy, if you walked into a a Rolex authorized dealer and somehow managed to walk out today with a black on stainless Rolex Submariner or hell any Rolex sport watch on stainless steel right now, you could turn around and make a 30% profit without even you, you could literally have the thing sold before you left the parking lot. Mm. So there's, there's no question that the, that the value is there, but if your plan as my plan is, and I think is at least partially what you've said, your plan is uh, I want to buy something that, um, once all these fashion watches, the, all the watches that I bought just because I liked the look of the dial or I, I liked a watch that looks similar to it. I mean, I even have a Seiko. I really like the Hamilton Ventura, the watch that they wear in Men in Black, the triangle mm-hmm. face. Um, and I found out Seiko made a triangle face watch for a couple of years before Hamilton put the kibosh on them because it looked too much like the Ventura. Yeah. And I thought, this is cool. I have to find one. Can't find them anywhere. They're sold out everywhere, haven't been made since like 07. And I just happened to see in my watch group that someone was wanting to trade one for a, a Nintendo. And I was like, well, I don't have a Nintendo, but I want that watch. How much is it worth? They said 125 bucks. Like, yep. <laughs> and then Insta buy. So, but once these, you know, fashion watches fall away, I would like to have at least one, but and hopefully, hopefully a handful of watches that, um, they don't have to be flashy. They don't have to be a name that anyone recognizes, but um, I want it to last. I want it to work and I want to be able to hand it to my son um, or, or, you know, have him pick it out of my box and, uh, and keep it forever or sell it mm-hmm. or do whatever he wants. But I want to have that heirloom quality. Nice. Um, you know, the, the older I get, the more I get into heirloom goods, into, um, it's worth realizing it's worth spending $60 on something I may have only spent $20 on five years ago if I know that this item will last me, you know, way, way longer. Um, it's just yes. a little bit less short-sighted, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think I actually mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but your story just brought it back to mind. Um uh, I've, I watch a lot of, of YouTube content, or not necessarily watch it, but listen to it, uh, because I do a lot of driving uh, throughout the day. And I remember watching an episode of uh, Mr. Wonderful, Dennis Leary, uh, which a lot of people might know from, from Shark Tank, uh, but he is a, an avid entrepreneur, a very, um, very successful man. Uh, and he talked in one of these episodes uh, about watches and his mother. When he was talking about his mother, he talked about, you know, they, she worked as, as a manufacturer uh, in the family business, didn't make a ton of money, uh, but what she would do is she would save up her money all year long and where all of her friends were buying, you know, this coat or that coat, you know, the quote unquote like mid-range designer stuff that would just come and go. Uh, she would take all of her money, pull it up, and she would buy one Chanel jacket every year. Uh, and then now looking back when she passed away, he said that everybody that ever knew her wanted one of her Chanel jackets. And he said, you know, she may have had 20 or 30 of them, but they, they all had this, this heritage, this heirloom quality to them and everybody wanted them. Everybody in the family, everybody on the street, everybody that knew that she had uh, one of those jackets. And 
he also talked about watches uh, in that in that same accord. And this kind of ties in, segues into one of my other talking points that I, I wanted to go into here uh, towards the end of the, the podcast was, you know, the difference between the, the watches that everybody holds on to nowadays, which would be like the, the Garmin watches, the Apple watches, the, the Samsung, you know, all of these tech watches that give you everything that you want to on your wrist versus a traditional watch. So not saying that an Apple Watch may not have some nostalgic value to somebody uh, in days in the future, but when you look at a traditional watch, and I'll just use as an example, uh, I have one of the original Seiko Ripley's, uh, which was uh, one of Seiko's watches that they made for the movie Aliens uh, when the character Ripley, uh, played by Sigourney Weaver, um, wore this futuristic Seiko watch. And I don't quite remember what the value of it was uh, at the time when it was sold, but you're probably talking about a, a $30 to a $50 watch that now, uh, because it was a well-made watch, it's popular, and now it's hitting into that nostalgia. It has that timeless kind of nature. Um, that watch is now pushing $400. Well, if I bought a Gen 1 Apple Watch uh, when it came out and I'm trying to sell it now, what am I going to get for it on eBay? $70? out of a what was $350 or $400 watch when it first came out or whatever the price was, I don't quite remember. But I also have a uh, an Omega from, from 2009 that was probably about $1,500 or $1,600 that is pushing a lot higher in value right now. So you have that, that increase in value, especially with the name brands, but you can also take a risk on some of these micro brands. Uh, and we are in an age right now where micro brands are, are tremendous. They're exponentially growing. Some of them have in-house movements. Some of them don't, you know, they're throwing in a, a Seiko movement or a, a Miota or a, a, another Swiss uh, maker. Uh, but we're living in this time where there are so many quality products out there. And when you're equating value you know, I, I like my Hamilton just as much as I like my Omega, but you're looking at a watch that's, you know, maybe $3,000 versus a watch that's maybe 250 to 300. They both tell time the same way, uh, but they have a different name on them. They have a little bit of a different function and that impacts the, the value pretty adversely. But does that necessarily mean that the Omega is worth three thousand dollars as as a watch or is the hamilton exactly the same and just as good in most most facets it's a good question you know i think about when i think about the apple watch thought i think about the people who probably only a handful but the people who spent ten thousand dollars on the gold apple watch that first came out yep ten thousand dollars now ten thousand dollars on a watch is uh, no big deal to uh, some watch collectors, but probably mm-hmm. a lot of watch collectors who don't think that that is a big deal. But to somebody in the cell phone industry, when that happened, I thought this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Because if you melted that yeah. thing down, how much gold is actually in it? Like a hundred yeah. bucks, 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> but because it's got Apple's logo on it and they thought, you know what, there's going to be a watch collector who routinely buys $10,000 watches maybe $10,000 their entry level into watches uh, and they're going to, they're going to buy it. And sure enough, people did, yep. but, uh, and I that really value, wonder what kind of everlasting value that that will have. Like what will the value of that, um, 
what was that called? The Horamus or Horus watch or something like that. I can't remember what the, the designation that they had for it, but, but what will that be worth in even five years? Will it be worth the original value of it or will it decrease substantially because the people that are into tech watches really want the one with GPS and 5G and LTE and all of that extra stuff? See, I can't imagine that it would hold any value aside from keeping it immaculate in the box um, because unlike, look, if we just wanted a, if we just wanted a watch that worked well, we would all be wearing courts. Yeah. But there's a reason that 90% of watch guys have a soft spot in their heart. If you know, my whole box isn't, isn't automatic. I am not in a place to be buying automatic chronographs. And yet I have one, two, three chronographs in my watch box. Um, they're all courts. They're all citizen Miota movements, um, except the Seiko, which is a Seiko movement. Um, and then, and then I have one that's an automatic, but that's that calendar. It's not really an auto, a chronograph. Anyway, um, there's a reason that we like automatic watches, and it's not because they tell time better than a quartz watch. Of course, they don't. They're they're just as prone to slowing down and speeding up, and how you've moved your hand and how much you've moved your hand. But but they have not gotten any worse over the what century that they've been around. They continue to work. And you could you could pick up a well maintained and serviced hundred year old, you know, whatever Rolex, um, and it will work just like it did day that it was the day that it was you know first purchased from the store. Yeah, the same cannot be said after eighteen months of anything with a processor in it. Yep, eighteen months in eighteen months the amount of technology that was available when that thing was created has doubled. The amount of storage has doubled in 18 months. That's why, just like we were talking about the, uh, before the show started, that's why 18 months ago you didn't see a, an SD card with, you know, four terabytes. Now you can get a four terabyte SD card. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, I think there I think that aside from a collector who just wants it to say that it's in their collection which you're going to have trouble finding mm-hmm. that watch will not maintain its value where something like a Rolex or any good automatic watch with a with a name that that is recognizable is at least going to maintain uh, you know the majority of its value if it yes. if it doesn't appreciate. Yeah. For sure. And then you also look at just the sheer numbers. So like how many how many Apple Watch Gen 4s are made versus how many Rolex Daytonas or this version of an Omega Seamaster or, you know, you you have this finite number and that movement changes. You have that that group that wants that movement. They want mm-hmm. that that bezel. They want that dial, that hand design. You know, those are all, all selling points uh, for those watches. Okay, so... Um, let's look at a, a, a closing question. So a, a topic to, uh, to close out the, the podcast. And I think that a good one, uh, for that is what would you like to see more of, or what would you like to see change the most, uh, in the watch world, uh, within this year, 2021? 
Well, I think the biggest thing, especially being in the industry I'm in, I get I get a good cross section. I have a lot of customers who are doctors and lawyers, and um, there's a split. Either I don't know if it's an income level split or just a interest or personality split or um, you know fashion versus non fashion, but there's I would say half of my clients who wear watches have a, a very recognizable watch on their wrist, be it a, a Rolex or Patek or whatever. And uh, the other half have Apple watches. And if you're a doctor or a nurse, I'm never going to fault you for wearing an Apple watch as part of your... And I'm not going to fault anybody for wearing anything. That's not That's not what I'm here to do. But I will say I would like to see... Uh, I would like to see the movement lean more towards traditional watches um, and and not the oversized uh, that, that Invicta is somewhat... Uh, I see a lot of friends of mine with these oversized 50, 50, 60 millimeter watches, dinner plates on their wrist. Um, I would like to see a movement back towards a traditional, like most of what's in my watch box, there's 42... You know, 40 to, I have a couple that are 45. The one I'm wearing now, the the Panerai I mentioned, but for the most part is 40, 42. I'd like to see more of that, you know, and I'd like to see people realize that you don't have to go buy a, a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollar watch to get into it. You know, a lot of people are scared by it and they don't want to buy something cheap. And it's like, no, you know, do you know what the, there's a lot. There's a reason a lot of watch guys recommend Swatch. Uh, I'm. I don't care for them. I don't care for the way they look. Mm-hmm. But Timex, Timex is a respected brand in the watch community. You know they are very accessible. <clears throat> and I've had I've had customers who are wearing a Timex Weekender, and I uh, compliment them on it because it's a good looking watch. And they they tell me. Oh, you like that? You know, these, these things are so cheap that when the when the battery wears out or if the strap wears out first, I just throw it away and get a new one. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. that, that I would love to see more people take the accessible path, kind of like I did, you know, and I'm a patient man and I was ordering from China and, um, and I'm a little bit more obsessive than a lot of people probably are and that I'm willing to take a risk on some poor quality control to find that watch then, and try out something that I wouldn't otherwise be just dropping a couple thousand just to see if I like it. Yeah. Uh, but I would like to see a movement towards traditional horology away from having to have your text message read to you on your wrist um, at any given point of the day. Gosh. Yep. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head, um, right there. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely an old fashioned, uh, person, you know, I, I write in cursive. I still write checks. I like a mechanical watch. I like a notepad and paper, uh, even though I have an iPad and note taking apps and all of that stuff, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit more of the, of the old fashioned nature. And something that really amazes me, uh, today is that, uh, and I, I've tested this out um, because I, I have a lot of teachers uh, that I know. Um, and they have, of course, typically behind their desk, they have the old analog clocks. Uh, they're all tied together in the in the school. They're all set by the, the central computer for the school. Uh, but how many 
teachers have told me that students don't know, and this is at the high school level, don't know how to read an analog clock because when they're filling out their hall pass, you know, they'll say like, okay, fill out the time and being able to look right up at the clock, they will pull their cell phone out and look at the time on their on their cell phone. So we, we have a generation where they don't know how to read an analog clock, you know, that no each each uh, each place on the clock is is five minutes. You know, there's there's five indices before that, and there's sixty seconds in a minute. And you know they they don't understand all of these these things that that you think they they kind of should. So going back to that more traditional, um, timeless analog style watch, I, I think that that uh, that definitely uh, hit the nail uh, on the head there, um, and the the understanding of watches. So I've actually found uh, very few resources uh, when it comes to to analog watches that I found, you know, truly honest or or trustworthy. Uh, and in a world where we we focus on YouTube so much and social media uh, so much, you have all of these influencers. And you you look at Instagram or you look at YouTube and someone was like, well, the the next big watch that you need to buy is this or that. Uh, And then you find out as you're reading about them that, oh, okay, well, they're sponsored by those. They got that watch for free. They got paid to do this video. And then you have to wonder, you know, what kind of integrity uh, that they have with that. And I've actually been uh, in a place where you know, I trade for most of my stuff. Uh, I'm not one to uh, to spend money on a lot of the high end things I have. I kind of feel like Dwight uh, in the um, in the yard sale episode where he takes the thumbtack and trades his way to a telescope before ultimately uh, trading it for the beans, um, legumes, the legumes. Um, <laughs> I I leave out the legumes uh, and really work to trade uh, trade my way up. And I I've done a fantastic job in my opinion of of taking some lower end items that were sought after by people and trading my way up into the things like my Omega uh, was a trade. Most of my high end knives were trades. I didn't expend um, money for them. Uh, But a lot of those trades that I thought I was doing good with because of the research that I had uh, done through all of these, these avenues uh, turned out to be not so good because the watch was crap. Uh, but it had the right influencers in the right place recommending them. Uh, and, and I'd like to see more content creators that are are not sponsored. You know, a lot of people don't like, say, like Patreon or, or, or services like that. But I notice more in the social um, media influencing side that the people that are predominantly supported off of something like Patreon and they use their Patreon funds to buy things then to review them, uh, that they give a lot more honest outlook onto what's actually going on. And I'd really like to see more of that, especially in the watch community, uh, but also tying into other parts of the EDC community as well. Cause I've seen the same thing in, in knives and leather goods and, um, lighters and pins, you know, you see it in all all aspects. But I'd really like to see some some more honest individuals and some more communities arise in uh, 2021 to really help to bring some knowledge to the forefront. Uh, and that's one of the many reasons for for launching the podcast late in last year. Is I thought that that might be an avenue that I could use to to help spread some information about 
lessons that I've learned in the EDC community, lessons I've learned in bad trades, bad products, um, and, and help to, to educate other people. Whew. Well, this has been, um, this has been, uh, the longest podcast to date. We've been, uh, we've been conversing back and forth for an hour and 40 minutes. So this is probably a, uh, a pretty good time to, uh, to kind of wrap it up. And I wanted to give this opportunity for you here at the end um, to, to bring up some things that, that you have uh, in, the, in the near future, some things that you're doing and some things that you might like some people to, uh, to know uh, before we wrap the, the podcast up this evening. So you've got the floor. Go ahead. So um, as, I'm, as I'm sure you remember from the beginning of the episode, we talked about the galley book. Uh, that is still available. That's through Leather and Lumber Goods website. So you can go to llghandcrafted.com or you can go to my website that I referenced earlier, uh, domustemp.us uh, or the link in my bio if you want to take a look at that. Just showcase some really cool guys, some really good talent uh, from the galley Discord server that I moderate for uh, ATP Addict um, and alongside EDC Exile and Patrick Campanelli. Uh, Really good guys. I really want to, they really have a heart to do the same thing I do with the community. We just support the people who are, who are making things uh, to get their name out there. Uh, We're really apostles for the brands that we represent in the galley. You know, we're, we're very loyal to the guys who are there. And, um, and we all have fun. You know, we, we chat. We did a sketch contest this past weekend um, that I uh, may or may not have won with my pirate-themed drawing. <laughs> uh, not to uh, toot my own horn there, but uh, uh, we did still end up uh, doing where we are still going to end up doing the, uh, the, give, the uh, reward to the second place, even though I technically won via votes. Um, but we do a lot of stuff. You know, we do we do raw editing competitions, or not even competitions, just raw editing workshops where one of us will drop a raw file and we'll do it. Very good resource for photographers. There's a myriad of makers there who who uh, are willing to share uh, some of their insight into the community, be it business or just how they're setting things up or advice on rebranding, stuff like that. Um, tons and tons of cool guys. Uh, that are that are at our disposal at any given time to to chat and just talk and um, really cool cross section of the community. Um, the let's see, we will we are coming out with some cool new merch um, that uh, Mister Renegade.edc may or may not be a part of. <laughs> I don't want to. I'll just tease that a little bit. I won't even say what it is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's going to be some pretty cool announcements with that pretty soon. Uh, the oh, and uh, for my for my own personal channel, uh, I or channel <laughs> going back to my YouTube days, uh, my own personal feed. I am getting ready to push a thousand. I'm at like eight fifty ish right now as of recording and uh, followers. And at a thousand, I've got a very small merch drop planned uh with llg handcrafted very excited for that it is watch themed so for anyone who's very interested and listened to the almost two hours of this episode you will want to keep an eye out for that because i don't know how many we're going to make i don't know if we're going to limit them uh we may just do a made to order thing so uh not uh (laughs) we will probably be uh one available if you want one um and then i will be doing a giveaway pretty soon so if you are into, again, I won't say what it is, 
But if you are into coffee or whiskey, you may want to stay tuned to my uh, Instagram because there will likely be a pretty cool announcement uh, coming down the pike. Of course, you'll have to be 21 and uh, in the continental U.S. to to enter. But um, that is all I will say about it. All right. Okay. Well, that has been a uh, fantastic uh, podcast. Uh, really appreciate Tony uh, joining in and uh, definitely looking forward to possibly having another watch episode in the future uh, where we will invite you uh, back. Uh, so, Thanks. Tony, go ahead and stick around. I am going to play the outro, and thank you guys for joining in. Thanks, guys.